Thank you for downloading or podcasting this track. This recording has been remastered to provide the best sound possible given the audio environment of the original recording session. Mosaic Silver Spring is a faith community located just inside the Capitol Beltway in Montgomery County. For more information, please visit our website, www.mosaicsilverspring.org, and we'll see you in the neighborhood. Good morning, church. I'm Maggie Frank, and I'm going to be reading the scripture passage this morning. It's from Matthew 4, verses 1 through 25. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to a holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Jesus said to them, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to, to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and, all, and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan. For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that, that, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called, called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this time and for your word. Thank you that you can teach us from it, even though these stories are, are old to us and we know them by heart, but you can still teach us. So I pray that you would enable 
Joel to get across just the right message today that we will learn and that we will apply it to our hearts. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, uh, Maggie, not only for reading scripture, but uh, for your prayer as well. If you search uh, IMDb's Top 250 or AFI has had lists going on for years, uh, the movie The Godfather, uh, made in 1972, consistently falls in maybe the top 10 of American movies in the last 100 years. So uh, one of the movies that has had staying power, it was uh, made in 1972, and now, uh, you know, fast forward some 50 years, and it still hung around. It still plays today, and part of its staying power is not only the themes that are woven throughout the movie and the quality of both the directing and acting, uh, but it's also, uh, there are a number of quotes that get pulled, and they still stick around. Things uh, like uh, going to the mattresses. Uh, things like uh, leave, the can or leave the gun and take the cannoli. Uh, things like revenge is a dish best served cold. And then finally, uh, and one of the more memorable ones, uh, I made him an offer he could not refuse. And it's that last one that gets at not only some of the dynamics of The Godfather, but I think uh, gives us a sense of what's going on at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Because in The Godfather, when the Godfather makes an offer that you cannot refuse, effectively what's happening is the Godfather saying, I'm going to leverage who I am and the power that I hold, whether good or evil, and I'm going to leverage those things and try to tweak the incentives just right that whoever I'm making this offer to, it's impossible for them to say no. And this is not something that's new in 1972 to The Godfather. These types of power plays where people leverage their status and their power to try to make offers to steer others in ways that they cannot get out of and cannot refuse is nothing new. In the biblical story, it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. When the serpent met Eve and Adam, and try to make them an offer that they couldn't refuse. Uh, fast forward a little bit in the story of God's redemption, they didn't refuse it. Uh, they succumbed to the temptation. The people of God, from that point, for thousands of years, wrestled through the reality of outside sinful forces, other idols or gods that they could worship, the impulses within themselves, their inclination toward sin, you could even describe that as their sinful nature, they lived day in and day out with offers that they couldn't refuse because so great was the power of sin and evil. So when Jesus takes on humanity, when God himself enters into the world, this is a huge deal, not just because the incarnation. It is because someone has come to faithfully resist the forces of evil and put an end to the types of offers that come from sin and temptation that cannot be refused. Jesus was coming to restore freedom. 
Jesus was coming to give life. Jesus was coming to accomplish redemption, not just for the people in the first century, but for you and I today. And so at the beginning of Jesus' ministry as the second Adam, so to speak, the second representative come to set people free and live faithfully, Satan or the devil, uh, the connections here back to the garden and the serpent, he appears again with some more offers that he thought Jesus couldn't refuse. And in Matthew chapter 4 and verses 1 through 11, we get a sense of just how Jesus can identify with us. He faced the power and reality of these offers. Let's look at them together. So as uh, Jesus is led out for 40 days and 40 nights, he's hungry and the tempter comes to him and lays down a bit of a challenge. If you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Provide for yourself. So he's tempted to do. Jesus has been let out. He's hungry. He's at a vulnerable spot. And the tempter shows up and says, create food out of these stones. And Jesus resists. He responds with scripture that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so the tempter makes another run at him in verse 4. Jesus If you are the son of God, if you are the Messiah, if you are the special chosen one, flex your supernatural power. Throw yourself down and surely you will be lifted up. The tempter even spiritualizes this one a bit, drops a little bit of scripture on his own to say, come on, Jesus, surely this is uh, a fair thing to do for who you are. And Jesus again resists. And then finally, the tempter offers power to Jesus. Trade in what you are called to do, and I'll give you the world. The tempter thinks this is an offer that Jesus can't refuse. And here in this pivotal moment, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he again responds to these temptations with faithfulness to what God has called him to do. And he responds again with scripture, be gone, Satan. You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. So time and again, where uh, and we just heard this from the book of Kings where people uh, came and wanted to either get power or hold power and they so often were tempted to grab onto that power by going other ways apart from what God had commanded them to do. And so it's incredible that at this moment, at the start of Jesus' ministry, when in effect he receives an offer for the world, if he would just take a slightly different object of worship Jesus, firmly responding with God's word, says no. And these tests or temptations of Jesus become significant because I think they show not only that Jesus came to deliver you and I from offers that we can't refuse that keep us enslaved to sin and evil, but 
Moreover, Jesus can identify with the realities of what our struggle is like. He has faced temptation. One of the unique things to Christianity is that uh, not only has God condescended or he has come down to take on humanity so that he can bring about our deliverance, but that he can closely identify with what you and I struggle with. Jesus can identify with you. In counseling, or when I'm talking to couples or trying to work through things uh, among friends, I often have given the advice that you should be careful to tell someone I know exactly how you feel. Because that's so often well-intentioned, and uh, there's some measure of empathy going on there, trying to see and understand the world through someone else's eyes. That's wonderful. But when people who are uh, unique face varying circumstances, they have all sorts of complex feelings, uh, whether it is the reality of facing violence, whether it's struggling through their own wounds, either physical or emotional, whether it's uh, the pain that they live with chronically or the acute pain that they're facing in a difficult time, whether it's the shame that they carry with them because of the things that their parents have told them or because of uh, what they've done in the past or because of a whole myriad of relational complexities. When you take all of those discrete things, we have to be careful to say, I know exactly how you feel. And it's not that empathy is bad, it's that we so often don't know how others feel. But one of the amazing things about God's grace and about the reality of who Jesus is and what he came to do is that in his life and ministry, he identifies with you and I. And he calls us to turn and identify with him. So he has humbled himself. He has faced violence. He has had shame cast upon him. And in all of those things, he was innocent of all wrongdoing. And yet he was motivated and driven by love for you and for me. And so as Christians, people who carry the name of Jesus Christ, we can live with the confidence that the God that we worship has identified with the realities of our struggle through the incarnation and life of Jesus Christ. And that's an encouragement to us when we pray, for instance. When we ask God to help us in our, in our moments of struggle, when we're fighting through pain, when we're feeling this amount of shame, God is not just some distant, abstract being way out there who has no idea what we're going through. God himself has come near to us. God himself can relate to us. And that, friends, when we pray or call out to God, gives us a unique confidence, unique to Christianity across the world, that God knows our struggles and meets us there. What a deep and abiding hope 
that in the midst of COVID realities, when we uh, may be struggling with isolation, when things may not be coming together with our workplace and our relationships in the ways in which we would hope and expect, what an amazing thing that God not only cares for you, that God not only loves you, that God not only provides you uh, with redemption, but that God can identify with your struggles. Jesus can advocate on our behalf from a position of being in the know, having faced trials and temptations. Friends, that is Christian hope when we live and struggle, when we pray and call out for help. Let that drive how we engage with one another. Now, one other switch in this from the verses 1 through 11, where we see Jesus identifying with us in this testing and in the temptations that he faces, is this flip to his invitation for us, for you and I. So in verse 12, going on through the end of the chapter, verse 25, you see Jesus kick off the public phase of his ministry, the announcement that God's kingdom has arrived. And uh, in the life of Mosaic, we have often tried to talk about ministry. What does it mean to be a church? What does it mean to function as a church in terms of our neighbors and in the community where we live? And I've often, and this is going into, or this is in our Mosaic Silver Spring mission, statement, it connects to both word and deed. That is, as a Christian church, we have a gospel message that we are trying to make clear to people. And that is an unchanged message from the life and ministry of Jesus himself. That is that people's only hope for life and life everlasting is found through faith in Jesus. Jesus uh, calls out in verse 17 and puts it this way, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Other gospel writers often use the language of kingdom of God. In the gospel of Matthew, they use a synonym. It's, it's the same thing, but they use kingdom of heaven. It's an announcement that King Jesus has arrived, that the kingdom of God, God's sovereign presence and power is now with his people. And uh, a calling for the people to turn in faith. If they had been uh, pursuing some other route to abundant life, if they have responded to temptation themselves to pursue power or to be fully self-sufficient apart from God, or maybe it's that uh, they have uh, pursued whatever it may be apart from God himself, Jesus calls and says, consider that. It's an invitation, a challenge, a call to you and to me. Repent. Turn in faith. Be united to Jesus. This is the gospel message that gets proclaimed, that functions as an invitation for us. And he calls disciples to him. So we see in verses 18 to 22 that uh, Peter, Simon Peter, together with his brother Andrew and James and John, another set of brothers, he calls some of those early disciples to follow him. And then in 23 through 25, almost as an opening summary of what's going to follow in the Sermon on the Mount. That's Jesus' word portion. And then later in chapters uh, 8 and 9, the works of Jesus, the deeds of Jesus, we see almost a, a short summary of that. Jesus, in verse 23, went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, 
proclaiming the good news or gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout, and it goes on that he uh, that people brought to him the sick and those who were afflicted with various diseases and pain, those oppressed with demons, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. And people began to hear the news of the life and ministry of the king. His combination of word and deed, the announcement of the arrival of God's kingdom together with his love and care for people, people who were struggling, people who were being brought to him, people who he came into contact with as he traveled, that word and deed together functions as the continued mission of Mosaic Silver Spring. That is what we pursue. And so while our context is different from Jesus, we're not in the Galilean countryside. We're in Montgomery County, and we're in a different time. But the temptation to follow the tempter's offer that cannot be refused, to worship someone else for power, to try to be self-sufficient in dealing with your own sin or shame, those things are unchanged. The good news for you, friends, this morning is that God's redemption, the announcement of the arrival of the kingdom, Jesus' status as king, his identifying with us, and his invitation for us are all unchanged. And so here and now we can continue in word and deed to make that announcement that the kingdom is at hand to call people to repent, to turn, to genuinely turn to Jesus in faith as the only hope to break the yoke of sin, the only hope to break the yoke of idolatry, the only hope for life and life everlasting is found in him. And then to love people motivated and driven by that love. That's the Christian life individually, and that is the mission of Mosaic Silver Spring. We may see it play out in Liturgy Live. We may see it play out in community groups. We may see it play out in the work of the Mercy Ministry team as part of the diaconal ministry team. We may see it across all sorts of different avenues. But what keeps all of those things cohering together is not some fancy organizational structure. It's not some group of charismatic women and men leading it. It is King Jesus in the continuation of his life and ministry. That's what the church is built upon. And that's what we will consider in the weeks ahead in the buildup to Easter, the life, the ministry, the death, and the new life of King Jesus. Join us in the weeks ahead. Amen.